Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. And hey girl, hey, I'm Julie Bender. Julie, we're today going to talk about sex and dating. Dating you said, and you sex. Said, you said dating, so <laughs> so prudishly, if I'm being honest, for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, truth in that, I have no idea why I did. <laughs> well, sex is mentioned in the media more than ever before, but that doesn't mean we're getting more sexy times. Mm, apparently, Americans in relationships reported having sex 16 fewer times per year from 2010 to 2014, compared to the years of 2000 to 2004. I mean, it, that's just kind of funny that we're counting, but all Yeah, right. I was like, wow, I mean, are they tallying? I don't know. But yeah. this was in 2017, and I'm just going to put it out there that I feel like since the long year, a.k.a. the pandemic, don't we think the numbers have come up a little bit because there was a period where there was nothing else we could do? <laughs> that's true. Either that or you really disliked one another and, you know, went to your separate room. I am not <laughs> sure. A 2014 study by Albright University found that women were able to consciously manipulate their voices while counting from 1 to 10 to sound more attractive. What is happening and why are we saying this? <laughs> However, when a guy in the study tried to do the same, they actually came off sounding less attractive. I, I feel like my husband would be the exception to this rule. Oh, you think he could count he from 1 to 10 and voice. say, you know, and you go, oh, baby, at the he end of it. He's got that real deep, like, radio voice. He, he actually does. He it's actually That was does. a weird one to include, but hurry, go to the next one. <laughs> okay. Uh, research shows that sex calms nerves, lowers blood pressure, reduces stress. So grab your partner before that big presentation at work. In one study, participants who had sex before a public speaking experiment were the least stressed. <laughs> I mean, I have so many questions about that study, but I would agree that sex is a way to reduce stress. A recent study presented at the annual meeting of the American Sociological Association found that the most mind-blowing sex, which, come on, that's what women want to know. How do we have good sex? Uh -huh. Here's the secret. Being in love and connected with your partner. I, you know what? I would totally agree with that. But, you know, what's going on in the back of my head right now? How many grants are there for sex studies out there? There's all of these There's a are lot going of money on. being spent on this. Apparently so. Okay, more to the dating side. 20 to 40 million Americans have used online dating services. Hey girl, hey, I'm one of them. Yeah, and it worked out for you, didn't it? Did, it? it did. Okay, I'm going to add this one just to top it off. Four out of 10 workplace dating relationships result in marriage, which would be mine. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, the internet has a lot to tell us about dating and sex, just as we found here with our Google results. But as Christians, we may be asking what the Bible says about sex and dating. Yeah, and it's really complicated in the world we live in because we want to follow the Bible, and yet all of our emotions and feelings and everything get involved. So we brought a guest in that can sort through that a little bit for us. Our guest today is Kat Harris. She's the host of the Refined Collective podcast and co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. Her first book, Sexless in the City, came out last year. 
In addition to being a full-time photographer, she coaches and equips women all over the world in dating, relationships, singleness, sexuality, faith, and how to build a renewed and healthy biblical sexual ethic rooted in freedom, truth, and grace. Kat loves God, personal development, a good Beyonce dance party, and is a ranch dressing connoisseur. Welcome, Kat, to this Grit and Grace Life. It's really great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to connect with y'all and I feel like we're going to we're going to get down the down to the nitty-gritty today. <laughs> I know we have a lot to talk about, but first I just need to know because you are a ranch dressing connoisseur, <laughs> what is your favorite kind? Oh my gosh. I love ranch. Let me count the ways. Uh, <laughs> my favorite ranch. Okay, top 3. Chili's <laughs> restaurant okay. the chain restaurant has a freaking good ranch dressing my son calls it three he calls it peppers so funny and then there's this jalapeno ranch at torchies uh-huh. which is a tex-mex chain mm. in austin or in texas it's not just austin okay and then my other favorite is you get a tub of sour cream <laughs> and ranch powder and you mix the two together and it is mm, the best the best like ranch dip ever you can just eat it with everything and I feel like a child describing what like. <laughs> no this is very helpful I just I mean I felt like you would have the definitive voice there okay oh, yeah. now hmm. for what we're really here to talk about <laughs> I'm sorry that I derailed us so I mean, significantly this isn't a TED talk on ranch dressing <laughs> I mean we could maybe try that later we could try it. but obviously you have some personal experience on talking about some of the struggles with sex, biblical guidelines for sex and dating, purity culture, all the things. And I assume that a lot of that led to you writing your book, Sexless in the City. Can you tell us more about where that came from? Before it was a book, it was a a journey of mine that I had been on for about seven years. And it started with me moving to New York City Mm -hmm. about a decade ago now. And I, you know, I, I grew up in Southern Christian culture in the height of the purity movement. I'm 36 years old. So early two thousands, you know, Mm -hmm. I had my purity ring, all of that and received a very strict or black and white set of guidelines, rules about my body, my womanhood, my femininity, my sexuality, dating, sex, physical boundaries and dating. And I never really questioned them, but some things that I internalized from those messages were that, okay, sex is only inside of marriage. If you have sex outside of marriage, like you're definitely out of the Christian, you're out of the Christian table. You, you have no seat there. Mm -hmm. My, I, I was terrified of my sexuality because I was taught that women are responsible for the entire male population's sexual integrity. And so I was terrified of being the source of quote unquote sin mm-hmm. for an entire generation. So I covered my body. I shamed my body. I shut down my sexuality. I thought my sexual desire was gross and sinful. And I never really ever re looked at those narratives or rethought about what I had been taught until moving to New York City. And in one year, I dated more than I had dated in a decade. I was meeting guys at bars. I was being set up on dates. I was online dating. And in that process, also fell in love unexpectedly with an unexpected guy. And 
I realized real quick that all these convictions I had had about saving sex until marriage and what things I was going to do physically in dating versus what I wasn't going to do, all of that kind of like flew out the window Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I fell in love. And on my first date, I went home with the guy and we didn't have sex, but we had everything but, and I went home that next morning in the wee hours of the morning because in my head, if I didn't technically stay the entire night, then I wasn't having a sleepover, then I wasn't (laughs) sinning. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, okay, how am I supposed to move forward if on day one, we plowed through all my boundaries except the big one. Mm -hmm. And, And then I also didn't feel guilty about it. And so a lot of things came up for me. A lot of questions that I'd never questioned. And even just looking at my own conviction of, did I really have a conviction not to have sex outside of marriage? Or was I just never in any sort of scenario where I was willing to test that, that, um, standard. And so this guy and I ended up breaking up fast forward. Uh, and We broke up for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because I wasn't willing to have sex. And at that point I felt very confused Mm -hmm. because I'm living in New York city. Most of my friends that were Christians were having sex and all of my friends who weren't Christians were having sex. And so I thought, man, is, is abstinence still a quote unquote thing? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is this still a thing (laughs) or is this an antiquated Christian norm? That's no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. And I needed to figure out what I believed. And I'm the type of person, I'm a question asker. I'm a why person. And it, what was interesting as I look back on that journey is I wonder why I didn't feel like I could ask why about that part of my life. Hmm. Every other area of my life, I felt the permission to be like, well, why? Why does the Bible say that? Does the Bible say that? It was like I had been told by some youth pastor 20 years ago, like, to only kiss until I'm married <laughs> and to shut down my sexual desire. And that like boys sin, if they see shoulders and shorts above the knees. And I just didn't question that I wanted to be this like good Christian girl. And so this ended up being a book because I ended up going on this journey that lasted upwards of seven years. And the more I dug into the scriptures and the more I asked questions about God, myself and sex and sexuality, the more I found that most of the content out there for Christians was and is written by men mm-hmm. and many men that got married in their early twenties and not saying that everything that they said was untrue or problematic. There's a lot of problematic stuff out there, but I just felt like you actually don't understand what it's like to be now 36 years old, single, navigating dating, navigating hookup culture. And I also felt like I want to hear from someone who's actually living this, you know, and on top of that, being in a culture in the evangelical American church where almost every other week, some pastor is being exposed for sexual infidelity, uh, some massive moral failing. And I just thought, you know what, you've kind of lost the right to talk to me about this. And so not, I'm not this person on some high horse. I am imperfect. I'm not claiming to be perfect or an expert but I feel like I ended up writing the book that I wish I had Mm. on the journey. I am speaking to my younger self of, all right, you're allowed to ask these questions and God doesn't have a fragile ego. So ask away, doubt away, search the scriptures. And 
it somehow, yeah, became a book. <laughs> oh, and I absolutely love your title. That was brilliant. Um, but, you know, I think that's true of a lot of things in our faith, that we accept the rules rather than the why are we doing it? Does it really matter? And, you know, for what you said about, I've heard so many young women say the same thing about why is it only on me to be the one to say no or to be the one to hold the boundaries? And, mm -hmm. you know, when you approach this in that way, to me, Kat, it's like defeating before you get there because you can't win. You cannot win. And you need to explore what does the Bible say about sex? And the truth is, the Bible has a lot of great things about our sexuality, about who we are, and how that's part of the beauty of how we're created. Um, and I know you talk about our sexuality as women too, and how do we get comfortable with that? Go there yeah. for me. Yeah. Oh man. So many, so many different directions I could go in. And one thing I'll say is one of the massive problems and gaps that we experience when we only have a male perspective from the pulpit is we're cutting out 50% of the human population's experience. And that is something that we really get to grapple with and look at. And what happens is we have the male experience as the core experience of sexuality. And, and we like to think in the church that the church is so countercultural, but we're totally not. <laughs> <laughs> the main experience of sex in culture at large is that sex revolves around male pleasure. We learn that in study after study, statistic after statistic, there are two great books. One is called girls and sex by Peggy Orenstein and the other is called boys and sex by Peggy Orenstein. And she unpacks like, what does it mean to be a young person having sexual experiences and what makes a good sexual experience and more than half of women when they're asked like what makes a good sexual experience they say when the guy experiences pleasure oh that's and pitiful almost 100 percent of guys say what makes a good sexual experience when i experience pleasure mm -hmm. and so there's just so much where we fall short when we have a one-sided conversation here so there's that now let's talk about the bible mm -hmm. um one of the honestly oh i just i love the bible because it's scandalous it really is. It's freaking Very true. scandalous. I mean, let's just talk about the book in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon. This was a book that was so erotic and provocative that a lot of Jewish teachers would not let their students even read the book until they came of age. It was that erotic and provocative. Whereas today, a lot of pastors like to teach it solely as a metaphor of Jesus and the church. Well, that's not how the rabbis were teaching it. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Song of Solomon is it opens with the bride saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love tastes better than wine. We have from the very get-go in a patriarchal culture, uh, sacred literature, starting with a woman giving informed and enthusiastic consent, saying how she wants her partner to please her. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that was happening thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, right? Or thousands of years ago. <laughs> and, and wow, what a countercultural God to interrupt a patriarchal narrative that says, you know, this is all about men and women submit to your husbands. And we have 
this young woman saying, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Like your love tastes better than wine. And, and then we see going on, there's this, a mutual submission. There's a mutual focus on each other's pleasure and connection and intimacy in this book right off the bat right there. I learned a lot of things like one sex, isn't just for procreation. Like these, mm-hmm. this couple isn't like, Hey, let's have babies. They're having fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They're doing foreplay. They are enjoying each other's bodies and they are connecting because they understand that the physical is a manifestation of the spiritual. So God loves sexuality. God honors it. And even part of it we see is a reflection of our relationship with God. And so we see this really provocative look at this intimacy and pleasure in Song of Solomon. But then at the very beginning of scripture, we see God the spirit of God, the breath of God exhales creation into existence. And then God does something distinct with humanity and says, let us create humans in our image and our likeness. And so humans are the God reflectors, the God image, the Imago Dei of God. And God says humans are very good. Now God doesn't say, oh, well, like your faith is good. Your mind is good but your body's bad or your right hand is good. But when, when guys get turned on and, and they get an erection, the devil did that. Mm-hmm. No, like God created humans and called them very good. And so that means all of it. Like God doesn't create compartmentally and God doesn't create bad or gross or disgusting things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I reread Genesis, I mean, how many times have we heard the Genesis story? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, whether you're in or out of the church, you've heard it a gazillion times probably, but to really sit and think of what does it mean that my existence, who I am reflects the God image mm-hmm. that does, that means all of me. So that means my sexuality isn't what it means to be human, but it's a part of the human experience. And even my sexuality and sexual desire has the God image or the capacity to reflect the God image. I mean, I think what you're saying is so powerful. And and I would imagine that there may be a listener or two who is maybe slightly uncomfortable. You know, she grew up in the purity movement or, or she, you know, she got married young. And so she didn't really struggle with how do I live in today's, you know, permissive culture and how do I, you know, honor God when it feels like this whole topic is really being glossed over. So you talked about how you, you know, struggled with, can I ask questions about this area that I was given such emphatic teaching on? Tell me some of the answers that you really feel like you discovered as you bravely and boldly went to the scriptures. Yeah. Oh goodness. Well, I mean, some of the questions I asked were kind of what we just covered. Is my body bad? Mm. Is Mm. my body bad? And I think as a woman, I felt I was wrong for just existing because my body was wrong because my body was the source of men struggling with lust or pornography or, oh my gosh, if I wear this bikini to church camp, then I might set this guy on a porn addiction spiral. Mm -hmm. There was just so much that has been put on the shoulders of women to take responsibility for. And what breaks my heart about that is a, it's very oppressive towards women, but it's, it's such a low view of men. Mm. It's, 
such a small and low view of men. Okay, okay, I got to stop you there because I so completely agree with that. We have said you are incapable of anything but this, this, Mm -hmm. this thought, this action, and we we should hold them to a higher expectation. We believe that you're better than that. We believe that the lowest common denominator is not who you are. Right. Absolutely. I think what we're saying is that men are like animals. Mm. We're saying, well, boys will be boys and boys, men, they just can't help themselves. And the inevitable, what has to happen if a man lays eyes on a woman is at the end of all of that, it has to be sexual. Mm. So we've hypersexualized men and women. We've said boys will be boys which hurts women and keeps men small and it shirks men of any sort of responsibility or ownership over the space they're taking up in the world. And I've been accused of a lot of things as I talk about this, but one of the things that hurts me most is when I hear, oh, you hate men. You're just such, you're just this feminist and you hate men. And I'm like, yeah, I am a feminist. I believe in the social, political, economic, and religious equality of the sexes, yes. And I believe that men are created in the image of God just as equally as women, Mm -hmm. that men have the capacity to take ownership for the space they're taking up in the world. And yes, there's what, as a woman, what, what, what is wisdom? And can I be kind? Like, is it kind to walk around in nipple tassels and high heels and nothing (laughs) else down the street? (laughs) That might not be a kindness and it actually might not be that might not serve me as it might not serve others, but can, can we, can we charge each other to be kind and curious and also spur one another on and say, you actually have the capacity to take ownership over the space you're taking up in the world. And if you have a lust problem, that's your problem. (laughs) That's not a woman's problem, you know, and vice versa. So I think we love to make, it's like we're, we make all of the struggle about the female body about, you know, so it's like as a woman, I've felt constantly conflicted in the church. Like, ah, like I'm supposed to shut down my sexuality, but then I'm being hypersexualized at every point. So, ah, like, what do I do? I just felt like I was terrified all the time. And Jesus came to give me an abundant life mm-hmm. and God didn't give me a spirit of, pe- of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so what I actually found in the scriptures was, man, not only is God not afraid of our sexuality, but God created humans distinct. Humans aren't animals. Right. Humans are not animals. We actually can stop our thoughts and interrupt our thoughts. And not every, not not every result for a look between a man and a woman or a person and a person has to be sexualized. And so I think for me, that was really empowering to know, okay, like I can take ownership for the space I'm taking, taking up in the world, but it's not my responsibility to stop a man from lusting. And it's like, it's like saying what Peggy Ornstein in one of her books says that like, saying boys will be boys is a tiny step or hop step jump on a skip from saying she was asking for it. Mm -hmm. It's the whole thing that we heard a couple years ago when women started saying, instead of teaching women how not to be abused, 
how can we teach our men to be good men and not be abusers? You know, you made one comment about um, we are different than animals. I mean, animals have sex to procreate. We have sex to deepen a relationship, to make it precious and pure and wonderful based in love, based in um, the strength. And I believe in marriage. I do. I believe that is the ultimate place that it flourishes. But that does not mean I condemn someone for finding their way differently until, but I do believe that the Bible says in marriage, it is the best of the best of the best of the best. And I do think that's true because of how we're created, not not just for rules reason, but we're created to become a partnership, to become a partner in every part of our lives. And I think that's an important element of it, that it is something more than just sex. It is a union of every part of your life from two people who are, are strongly committed to one another and can grow their whole life together. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think you touch on a point that's, that has been challenging and also freeing for me. And it's this idea that the physical is never just about the physical. Mm. Like bodies touching is not just bodies touching. My, when my body is expressing, whether it's, oh my gosh, I'm stressed, what happens? My shoulders go up to my ears, my jaw gets tight, my fists clench, my physical body is manifesting what's happening on the inside. It's showing the state of what's happening in my spirit. Mm. And I think when we view the physical as just the physical, we're taking this multifaceted, multidimensional human experience and we're flattening it to a paper doll, go mm-hmm. like a stick figure. And the beautiful thing that what I think is so beautiful about sex is first of all, is I think it has the capacity to be this physical manifestation of this mind, body, soul, spirit, commitment, connection, relationship. And what's what I found in the scripture, the Hebrew word for God knowing humans, for God knowing us is the same word in Genesis 2 where Adam knows Eve. The word is yada, yada, and it means to know. And that's not just a physical knowing or a logical knowing, like that's the word used for sexual intercourse. So when Adam yadas Eve, it's representative in Hebrew culture of the whole thing. Like sex is this mind, body, soul, spirit connection, knowing and intimacy, real intimacy, there actually is no shortcut to it. It does take time. Mm -hmm. It does take trust and it does take feeling safe and secure. And I love that within this committed marriage relationship, there is this opportunity to express like, oh my gosh, like I am all in this. Like, I want to see you. I want to be seen by you. I want to know you. I want to be known by you because, you know, we're thinking naked bodies, there's going to be cellulite and stretch marks and fumbling, uh-huh, yeah. you know, like sex isn't like the movies, you know, bodies make weird noises. <laughs> And it's this ultimate, like, I see you. Right. And it doesn't mean, I think I believed from the church for a long time, oh my gosh, if you ever have sex outside of marriage, you can't have good sex. 
that's just not true. Like you can have awesome orgasmic sex outside of marriage. You can, you can also have like awful, painful sex within marriage. Mm -hmm. I think the invitation is to be curious about what does it mean to have this act be a physical expression of like a deeper spiritual posture of my heart. So what are the, some of the things that you discovered while writing this book? While, like you said, you know, living your journey of discovering for yourself what you believed after what you'd been taught. What are some ways that you as a woman of faith can be confident in your sexuality while dating? Yeah, I think one of those things is, well, first, let me define what I, how I, let me define sexuality. So this is not my definition. I got this definition from Deborah Hirsch and her book, Redeeming Sexuality, who I I believe it, she also quote, the quote of it is from some scientists that I should know, but (laughs) she says that sexuality is the experience that every human has to get outside of ourselves and connect with lowercase o others, the desire for connection. That's what sexuality is. And then she goes on to say spirituality is the human desire that all humans have to connect outside of themselves with capital O other. Hmm. So spirituality is ultimately the desire for God. What was freeing to me about hearing this definition of sexuality is that it, it expanded what it means to embrace my sexuality, what it means to practice my sexuality, because I think in both church and culture, we have a narrative that might not be explicit, but implicit that to embrace your sexuality means orgasms and sex and bodies touching. Mm -hmm. And if you want to express your sexuality, that's the way to do it. Have sex, which if you are a person of faith or are in a, a space where you are choosing to abstain from sex until marriage, that's bad news, right? It's like, well, part of the God image in me cannot be expressed unless I get married one day and that thing may or may not ever happen. I think what didn't ever sit right with me about that was like, God doesn't create us compartmentally. Like there's no compartmentalization with God. Like God creates us holistically. So there has to be a way that I can express, identify with and honor my sexuality and desire, regardless of my relationship status and regardless if I'm having sex or not. And so that definition of sexuality freed me up because I thought, oh, Okay. So sexuality is that thing that makes me want to like start a podcast. It's that creative Mm -hmm. desire to get outside of myself and connect with other people and make new things. We, one of my pastors in New York, John Tyson says, you can have this eroticism for life. Hmm. So for me in this process, one of the biggest things I learned is that if sexuality were a book, sex and orgasms would be one chapter. And so what is it to almost the picture I get when I talk about this is like Dorothy going from the black and white to the colorful (laughs) land of Oz. So when we just think about sexuality as sex and orgasms, like we're stuck in the black and white. Mm. So what is it to step into the land of Oz and say, okay, if sexuality is a book and sex and orgasms is one chapter, then what are ways as a person who may be choosing not to have sex right now, what are ways that I can express my sexuality? Well, one of those ways is getting connected to my body because what is sex? 
Well, sex are bodies touching, bodies interacting. And if I want to know how to get into my body, I have to first accept my body, love my body, reject this notion that my body is bad. So getting in my body for me is working out. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, working out can be sexy, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Being sensual is really just being connected to your senses. You wanna get connected to your sexuality, start practicing the art of being present putting your phone down, being present in a conversation, enjoying the meal at hand, tasting the good wine, tasting the good food with the person in front of you and not just constantly scrolling on Instagram or social media. <laughs> there are a thousand different ways that we can connect with and embrace our sexuality outside of sex and orgasms, but it takes pausing. You, a person listening to this might be like, oh my gosh, this seems so weird, but pause and really think about it. Like what happens when two people come together and have sex, intimacy, connection, feeling known and seen. Sometimes babies are made. <laughs> so when two people come together intimately and in collaboration, new life can be made. How can I take that principle and apply that to other areas of my life outside the bedroom? That's connecting with your sexuality outside of physical acts. I think one of the things about your conversation about sexuality and accepting our bodies makes a huge difference in a marriage that's successful. Because if you're okay with how you look and your cellulite, or you're comfortable with you as a woman, then you're not afraid to take your clothes off in front of your man. You're not afraid to, you know, have great sex with the man that you love and you're not conscious of yourself because you've already accepted who you are. And I think that is an, a really important part of a successful marriage, of a successful relationship. Because before you ever got there, you went, I like me and I like everything about me and all of me is being given to you. Right. I think that is such a good point. And you bring, you bring up this idea of, that we hear in the New Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. We love to focus on serve others, serve others, serve others. But what the spiritual discipline within that charge is to first love yourself. Mm -hmm. That's actually not selfish. I actually can only give what I have first given to myself. So I can only give out of an overflow. So if I don't love myself, if I don't accept my body, if I think that my genitals are gross, oh my gosh, don't even say the word. Don't look <laughs> at that. Ew. Oh my word, she said genitals in erection ah. in the same podcast. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I think my pleasure is gross, ugh, ugh. if I feel ugh, disgusted, that if that disgust response gets activated, I can only give what I have first given to myself. So what makes me think that I can experience beautiful, uh, redeeming, healing sex with my partner if I first don't accept myself. How can you accept their desire, their pleasure, their genitals, their bodies, their imperfections if you first cannot look at yourself and say, oh my gosh, I'm a miracle. <laughs> the fact that I am alive and breathing and taking space up in the world is a gift. Mm -hmm. And I am worthy enough accepted beautiful sexy right now not some future or past version of myself and i think it's 
I think we can only give so far if we're not willing to turn that mirror back on ourselves. I'm processing through just some of my own, you know, teenage teachings and my own mm-hmm. personal upbringing and my first marriage and my now marriage. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's a whole another conversation. And I'm just like, you know, rethinking the ways that I experienced what I believed about sex and my body and mm-hmm. pleasure and all of these things. So I'm really just appreciating your willingness to talk about this, Kat. I'm thinking of the person who is like we said, maybe a little uncomfortable with the conversation or just not sure what the point is then. So what's what's the instruction? I know in purity culture, when I was in that youth group, the question we always wanted to know the answer was, well, then how far is too far? Mm-hmm. Right? Did we not ask our pastors that, our youth pastors that? Of course. And I get now, that question almost every day. <laughs> right. And, and now we're like, okay, so now I'm going to more confidently ask this question. Like, I think I'm allowed to ask this question. Mm-hmm. What do you say to the person who's still asking that question based on your findings? Yeah. Well, first, I like to talk about sexual integrity hmm. as opposed to sexual purity. Hmm. I believe the only thing that makes me pure is Jesus. Yeah. So any any sort of narrative that says that I can earn my purity. So if I do this sexually, but I don't do this sexually, then I lose my purity. But if I do this, if I follow this formula, then I earn my way to have a seat at the table of quote unquote purity. I just don't think that that's the gospel. I don't think that that's the invitation of Jesus. It doesn't mean that our actions don't matter and that what we do or do not do doesn't matter. But I just think, no, like when I make myself a slave to external expectation or an external formula, I've already missed the point. Mm already missed the point. Sexual integrity is saying, what do I believe? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself in light of who God is and who God says I am? What is it that I want in a relationship? What am I looking for? What are my boundaries? Why are those my boundaries? Mm -hmm. Whether it's, all right, I'm saving sex for marriage or I'm, or I'm saving sex for marriage and I don't feel okay with sleepovers, but I feel okay with the occasional hand job (laughs) or whatever. Here's the deal is that different people are going to have different boundaries. We all want the formula and the hack, but like we are humans, not math problems. Mm -hmm. And so people are going to land on different parts of this conversation of what is a win for them. So people ask me all the time, so what can I do? What can I do? I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. I have uh, several chapters in my book that kind of lays out a framework of, okay, let's get curious about what you want. So for me, if let's, let's just take a hypothetical situation (laughs) for me, I'm saying, okay, I want to save sex until marriage. That's something that I feel committed to from the inside out. I don't feel like it's an obligation for years and years. I thought it was an obligation. Now I've come to a point where I thought, okay, this is something that I feel committed to. I feel like it's an invitation that God has for me. I receive that invitation. So then it becomes, how can I set myself up for success to be my word to myself? Hmm. It's not, well, what's, what's allowed? Everything's because, you know, everything's permissible. Not everything is beneficial. Right. Now I'll say I'm 36 years old. My sexual boundaries are different than what they were when I was 21. <laughs> they're different than they were five years ago. And they're different than they were a couple years ago, because even when I was writing my book, 
in my book, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm just going to like kiss until I'm married. And then I wasn't dating anyone at that time. <laughs> and then I dated someone last year and was like, oh, like, do I just want to only kiss until my wedding day? I don't know, man, like <laughs> maybe, but what is it to give ourselves permission to ask ourselves those hard questions? Right. Like maybe I have a friend who they both worked at a church and the week they got engaged, he got in a terrible car accident, broke his pelvis mm. and they lived in New York city, which has all walk-ups, no elevators, no room for wheelchairs. And so the only option they had because they couldn't afford in care in, in home service was for them to move in together unmarried. And you know, some people are like, oh my gosh, they're living in sin. You know, <laughs> they upheld their sexual ethic. They stayed their word to themselves. They're, they were on leadership at this church. Their pastors knew about it. There was no secrets about this. And it was such an eye-opening experience to me because I would have always said before that, oh my gosh, like this is always black and white, mm. but maybe it's not. And maybe they were able to do that and uphold their sexual integrity where I have another friend who's saving her first kiss until the altar. Hmm. And I've known her for years and years. And this woman is not shut down to her sexuality. She's not shut down to her desire. She's not afraid of physical intimacy. This is just something that she feels like this is what I want to do. <laughs> and there's freedom in it. Yeah. And so can we honor that people might be on a different, they might land on different parts of the, the physical, the physical roadmap. We don't want to do the work. Mm -hmm. It takes work to sit and think, okay, what do I believe about sex? Mm -hmm. What do I believe about how I want to show up in my dating relationship? So for me, I wasn't having sex the whole time, but I was going home with guys on the first night and getting naked with them. Mm -hmm. Was I really being my word to myself? I now don't think that I was. I now think sex is so much more than one physical act. And what I'm most curious about is how do I move forward in my relationship in a holistic, integrated way? Mm. So how do I not get naked on the first night, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually? How do I let things unfold over time, emotionally, spiritually, and physically? Because a lot of Christians may not get naked physically on the first night, but you're sharing all your traumas and all your deepest, darkest secrets on the first two dates, because you're wanting to like form an emotional and spiritual bond. <laughs> you're getting emotionally naked. How do we move forward holistically? That takes work. I think Kat, what I would like our listeners to walk away with in this conversation is do your own cat research, do your own say, you know, I have these preconceived ideas, but you know what, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to read one book in particular. I'm not going to read four books in particular. I'm going to actually start at the scripture and see what God says about it, work through that, and then bring in other information to really build your own thoughts. And like you said, sexual integrity in this conversation because i think for any anything that we do we need to know what we know not what somebody else tells us we need mm -hmm. to know what we believe not something that was presented to us with either purity rings or hey mm -hmm. you're fine do you know you've got freedom in christ go hang from the ceiling mm -hmm. you need to know what you really believe and i would encourage our listeners to 
do that themselves. Do your own study, do your own research, and form your own conclusions on this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I was a Bible major in college, and I, for the life of me, could not tell you one verse in the Bible that talked about no sex until marriage, because I just had never looked it up myself. And not, I don't want to just like sit here and toot my own horn about my book, but something that I do like about my book is <laughs> I'm going to give you a lot more questions than answers. Mm. And that's purposeful. And at the end of each chapter, I have like reflection questions. Okay. What do you think about this? What's coming up for you here? What were you taught about this? Because before we can move forward, we have to look backwards mm. and, you know, everyone wants to start with the question. So what can I do and why, or what can I do and what can I do? And I love like pulling from Simon Sinek. He has one of the most watched Ted talks of all times, him and Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. His is called how great leaders inspire action. And he talks about this golden circle theory. And he says, everyone knows what they do. And he's talking specifically about companies offering products and services. Everyone knows what they do. You know, Apple sells computers. Some companies know how to do that well. Very few companies know why they do what they do, but it's the companies that know why they do what they do. It's the companies that know their why that outshine and outsell every other company for the long haul. And I believe that with our lives as well. We want to start with the what, what can I do? Some of us know what we're doing while I'm not having sex or I'm having sex less people know how to do that well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very few people know why they're doing what they're doing. What I see over and over again through the scriptures is Jesus is not as concerned about the what as he is the why. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants our hearts. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants your why. So if you don't know your why, great. Welcome to being a human. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to adulting. And we <laughs> to like go through that journey together. Yeah. Yeah. Why, you know, why ask the question and find out, be, allow yourself to be surprised at how God meets you in that space. Well, Kat, you've given us a lot to think about, um, a lot to question in our own, you know, thoughts and ideas. And I'm thinking of, you know, there's probably a good majority of our audience who, you know, is married, whether happily or maybe struggling with some of their own traumas from purity culture, which is a whole nother conversation, but <laughs> they likely have friends who are single and struggling through this or single again and struggling through this. And so because that was me four years ago, um, I would just say to someone who's kind of like, oh, I don't really know that I need this conversation. I would just caution you to be gracious and kind and um, attentive to your friends who might be struggling with this question and encourage them, as Kat has said, to really wrestle on their own with what they believe about their own sexual integrity and to be mm -hmm. a supportive, non-judgmental, listening, kind friend to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And just to speak to the married women as well. I mean, growing up in the church and growing up in purity culture and getting married in that space is highly traumatic. And a lot of women and men experience a lot of trauma and pain in their marriages and sex lives because of the messaging from 
Christianity and church and purity culture. And, and that's not lost on me. And there's a great book out there by Sheila Gregoire called the great sex rescue. It came out last year and she has did the, the most, the most up-to-date comprehensive study on Christian women and sex. She interviewed over 20,000 Christian mm. married Christian women. Cool. Yeah. We and the book was honestly, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a, it's like a cautionary tale reading this, <laughs> mm. but it, the pain that I've, I've read about in so many women's stories mm-hmm. and the isolation because it's like, Oh, I like married this godly person and we supposed to wait till marriage to have sex. And guess what? Neither of us know what we're doing or one of us has a porn addiction or what it's really painful for me. And no one told me that. And right. like the big secret is we have sex once a year or we don't even have sex. And so there's so much out there for married women as well of yeah, totally. taking ownership and rethinking like, what is your sexual ethic? Just because you're married doesn't mean you, can't rethink your sexual ethic. Because I mean, you got to figure it out. Nope. Married women are hurting from this message as well, you know? True. For sure. Kat, you have given, I would say you've given our listeners a lot of things to walk away with and think about and ponder and research and pick up your book. So tell us a little bit about where they can find you and where they can find the book. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me and letting me say some, <laughs> you know, real stuff here. We're going to um, put explicit yeah, on my, this one there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Kat Harris, and my book is called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. You can get that at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Audible, you, it really anywhere you buy books. And my weekly podcast is called The Refined Collective, and slide on into my DMs on Instagram, <laughs> The Refined Woman. I would love to chat and hear about your process. Well, Kat, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I usually throw in a Bible verse at this point in time, but this time I'm going to encourage you to do something different, and that is read the Song of Solomon. Read the entire book. The whole book? The whole book, the Song of Solomon. It's not that long. I, okay. I <laughs> um, but it does tell of a beautiful love story and real-life passion, and as it did for Kat, it might kind of open your eyes to what, what a healthy, beautiful relationship really can be. I definitely also want to encourage you to make sure you check the show notes in this episode. One, to grab Kat's book and learn more from her, but also there'll be a list of some of the resources that she mentioned that you may want to pick up for your own further research and study. Thanks for tuning in to this episode, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.